0: you're listening to the Business of Branding Podcast. If you are a creative female entrepreneur ready to connect with more of those hack yes clients, build an irresistible brand, and allow growing your business to feel easier than ever before, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Nikki Arnsman, a brand designer and strategist, a mama, and a little bit of a serial entrepreneur. On this podcast, I share all the strategies, tips, and lessons learned that have helped me build and scale in aligned business. My hope is that the content here will inspire you to go out and do the same for yourself. Welcome to another episode of the business of branding podcast. I'm here with Lauren Boyd. She is an entrepreneur attorney. Uh, She's got her own podcast as well. Um, She's a speaker and a new mama to a six week old at the time of this recording, who is dedicated to helping entrepreneurs gain confidence in their legal foundation. Um, What I found so interesting about your bio was that you worked in corporate law um, climbing the ladder, negotiating, you know, billion dollar international contracts. Um, but you were uninspired and burned out. And I think that story is, um, so common, more common than people probably even talk about. And so I'm excited to learn how you have shifted uh, out of that field and started your um, new boutique law firm, Guide My Business, scaled that to your own six-figure company in less than 12 months. Um, And now you are empowering entrepreneurs to build a strong foundation for their own business so that they can grow and scale um, in the way that you have as well. So. Thank you for being here, Lauren. I'm so excited to join you today. This is so fun. I know. So tell us a little bit about how you kind of got into law, um, your career in corporate, what that was like, and then that like nudge to, to switch fields.
1: Yeah. So it's funny. I think I always knew I'd be an entrepreneur. I don't think if you had told me that I was going to be a lawyer and I'd have my own law firm, I would have believed you. When I was younger, I didn't grow up in like a family of lawyers. I actually grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and my husband did as well. And actually I was a finance major and entrepreneurship major in college and really loved the business area. But when I was getting close to graduation, we, in my entrepreneurship program, we actually had mock legal counsel from third year law students next door. And I was like, I love that like yeah. I love the way that I can marry business and entrepreneurship with like being this support because I was obviously fine had a finance degree um, that I was working on and and I was like, well I'll go into finance and I was just feeling that like, again uninspired I was like this is not going to be something that I'm going to be like light me up every day so you know I thought law would be really cool I could work with businesses this could be really neat so I honestly kind of like on a whim applied to law school um and just knew that if I did get into law school and if I pursued law I was going to really do it in the business world Hmm. and so that's exactly what I did um I got in Surprisingly, like I'm, I'm, I was like, I'm going to apply to one school down at U of a, um, where I was already going because it was a good law school. So I was like, I'm going to apply to one school. And if I get in, great. If not, I'm going to take a year and really figure out wh- what I want to do. Do I really want to go to law school? If so, where? And sure enough, I got in. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to law school. And <laughs> I was honestly just really. I, I really honed in from the beginning on business negotiations, business contract drafting, organizations, anything I could touch um, in that space is, is what I took. And I was just really stubborn about it. I didn't kind of follow the traditional legal path so much so that when everyone went and worked for judges and went, you know, into firms, I actually managed to find myself a job in working in-house um, for a Fortune 100 company. And I got to, like you said, negotiate big contracts for several years, travel, you know, it was great. But I was looking up in my organization. I was like, I don't want anybody else's job. Like, Mm. I I don't want this. And I saw them, you know, they had kids and they were missing everything. And they were there, the pressure, pressure to travel, pressure to relocate. And
0: I just wasn't feeling it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's so relatable. Like, that, that feels like entrepreneur blood, right. Is like, you know, some people are cut out for it and some aren't. And that's the beauty of the world because as entrepreneurs, we need people who are great employees and people who can see themselves climbing up and look at a VP role. And they're like, Oh yeah, I, you know, I could be that or a managerial role. Um, and I think that when you are like, have entrepreneurial blood in you, you look at that and you're like, I want to be the CEO. And like, I'm not going to be the CEO because they're the one who started this business.
1: Or you even look and you're like, I don't want to be the CEO of your company or of this. I I worked for a big company corporation that's been around forever. I was like looking up. I'm like, there's, there's nothing here that lights me up. And I think you're right. It's just you're programmed a certain way. And there was just this like nudge, like this, like, like pulling on my heart of like, you could, you could do something different. You, you could mm-hmm. grow roots in your own community. You could actually, cause I felt like I was commuting to work to hop on calls with people who I would, you know, they, they didn't live here. And then if they did, I'd probably pass them to the grocery store and never know. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like I could grow roots in this community. I could actually make a difference if I was taking what I was doing at the, you know, billion dollar contract level, um, during my career and moving it down to small businesses where the impact you know, though the dollar amount might be smaller, the impact is so much larger.
0: Yeah. So where your, your business right now, um, you left, you, so you left corporate, you, did you like take a leap? Like, I don't have any clients yet, or did you like started on the side or how did, how did that go?
1: So I was working insane hours and it just wasn't practical for me to like, you know, start something on the side, though. I would tell everyone like, start something on the side, make sure it works safety net. I just like jumped blindly into this. Mm -hmm. Um, I was sitting at dinner with my now husband. Um, We were dating at the time and I was like, I think I hate my job. And I think. (laughs) I had this crazy idea where, you know, I know I could go find another in-house position in town because I worked for a great place. And mm-hmm. a lot of times people were getting poached, you know, to smaller, you know, businesses in town. Um, and I say smaller, just smaller from the Fortune 100 level. So I was like, I know I can find another in-house job. You know, so that was my safety net. Like not even going back, but like going someplace else because I really was looking for something different. And I said, but I have this crazy idea. I think I'm going to start my own law firm. And you should move in and help me pay the mortgage because I, I just bought my own cute like 1950s home. Mm-hmm. I was like, you should cut, move in and help me pay the mortgage. And I like to tease. I'm like, I married him because he was like absolutely gung ho behind me quitting my corporate law job, like this nice safe cushy job, mm-hmm. for like moving in to pay the mortgage so I could literally start with zero clients. I literally remember walking out of there on Friday. And we had like a weekend planned um, with, you know, friends and family and some things going on. And on Monday morning, I opened up my computer and was like, okay, so... Well, you know, (laughs) how do people start law firms? Like I started Googling, um, you know, obviously I I grew up in an entrepreneurial family and seen, I knew what it took to start a business in general. Yeah. Um, But you kind of dive in, you're like, all right, I need malpractice. I need to find like, you know, client software. I need to work on you, like the whole laundry list of things, which, so I feel like it really like that experience. And then the day in and day out of now managing employees and a team and growing has really allowed me to really understand our clients and understand what they're going through because I took the scary leap and I'm, you know, doing, doing the thing every day. And so, you know, unlike maybe another law firm where, you know, everyone's kind of employees and they've just gone into this law firm, you know, I, I really do understand them. And yeah. I think that that makes them feel very heard and a lot more comfortable with our team because we've really kind of, we've kept it small. We've kept it like- kind of this different, we want it to be this different environment, one that focuses on family and, you know, small business and and local, and it just feels really good.
0: I feel like there's multiple things I want to like dive into here. One of the, the first thing that comes up for me is um, when, when you talk about um, starting your own business and all the different things that you need it's it's funny because I think from your perspective, being in law and having such an acute awareness of like all the ways that you could be sued or the proper steps of doing like da-da-da-da-da. And then I think like you probably had this list of all these things that you knew like had to have to get checked off in order for you to be like. I'm a business. And then there's this whole like other side. And I know just from me, where like, I didn't have any legal background and no like counsel, quote unquote, to like support me with that, to really know, you know, what actually do I, do I need to be doing? And I know today we are going to dive into talking about trademarking and things like that, which is something like, I just never even thought about any, Mm. anything like that other than getting an LLC and like Uh, any random name and like calling it a day and then just like starting a business. And, and then I slowly figured out like, okay, I need contracts or I need this or I need that. Um, And I'm like five years into four years into this business now. And I'm, you know, I'm still like, buttoning those things up, those legal things. So it's, I, you know, for you coming from that, like, I imagine like your foundational parts of your business were probably so much more solid. And it's great. Cause like you said, you're able to provide that to your clients and get them set up properly from day one versus like having to backpedal a year down the line or two years down the line.
1: Well, and I want to tell your listeners too, like give yourself a lot of grace. Like as small business owners, like we've all got to start somewhere, and like something is going to fall through the cracks. Something is mm-hmm. not going to be quite right. And to be honest, your legal foundation isn't something you like set and forget. It's something that I like to say like grows and evolves with your company. So at every level, you have the opportunity to like readjust and evolve your company. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing. Is you know. Don't think of your contracts as like, well, I, I did I have a contract and I'm never going to touch it again. Well, if you're a service provider, you're probably going to change the way you do business. You're going to probably change your boundaries or your hours or the your compensation, like how you're paid. There's little things about how you operate day to day that allow you and your team to work best that are going to change over time. And those should be reflected in your contract. So if you're your contract isn't a one and done. It's really this, like, you know, you should have a really strong foundation, like a good contract that you can like, now you just can manage the small things. Mm. You can go back in and go, you know, I really should take, you know, a, a deposit on the work or really, you know, I think seven days of, after late payment, I should, I should really stop, you know, working on their project that, you know, I should suspend work for a period of time until, you know, they get caught up because that one time I got really overextended. I worked for a month and they didn't pay me, you know, adding costs of collections into our late payments. There's lessons that I find people learn over time. Even some of my clients, I, re, I have a client right now that we're working on something. She's been growing her team for the past, you know, really strongly for the past 18 months. And she came to us and she said, I'm ready to take the, take my like employment contracts, my employment stuff to the next level. Because when she started, she was so nervous to put anything that felt, you know, she was taking people from independent contractors to employees She was so nervous to really make things feel too formal or too strict. You know, she didn't want to have a non-compete. Well, now she's 18 months in and she realizes the level of resources that she's pouring into her team to make them better at their jobs, to make the company better, you know, deliver better products to their their clients. And she's ready to add a non-compete. She's ready to take those next steps. And it doesn't mean that her contract wasn't good before. It just means that there was protections that she wasn't ready for, you know, that, you know, she, that relationship wasn't ready for. Yeah. So your contracts are a really big piece of building a relationship with whether it's your clients, your independent contractors, your suppliers, it's a big piece of building that relationship. It should feel good, but it's going to evolve over time.
0: Yeah. That's so important. I think to know, like, just to know that there's like grace within that process. Cause a lot of business owners hiring and and building team is one of those things where you are either like really good at it and you're like yep um let's do it or it's one of the things that is like a A block or a hump to get over. I was just filling out before we were getting on here um, some questions for a podcast that I'm going to be a guest on. And one of them was, what is one of your biggest business struggles? And one of mine is hiring. And it's not finding the people, it's it's actually like committing to like, oh even though this is something that I know how to do, it's time for, like, I know I'm at a place where it's time for my team to even expand more than it is now. Um, and there is like, there's some feelings there when you're like, <laughs> I don't want to scare them off. I don't want to be too strict. I don't, you know, for someone like I, part of it, I, or what comes up and maybe you can touch on this, or this relatable is, um, when you are running this more like, you know, I don't want to run a corporate environment. I want to have a family oriented cu- culture in my business. And, um, you know, I am a very lead back person. I don't micromanage things. Right. And so trying to like keep that while also having boundaries with new hires is such a like you're like, I don't want to I don't want to create too much of this like corporate feeling then, you know. Then keeping it more like of my low key family oriented, you know, relationship based uh, type of environment. How do you like find the balance of that within, uh, within like contract writing, but not, not the, like, we have to go all of into that. But what I find so interesting is like, there is a way to do it. And, and I think at the end of the day, it's like boundaries are so important within a contract. The, they're important for you. And they're also really important for the employee and the person that you're hiring. So doing those from the very beginning is like, is great. Cause they feel supported.
1: Absolutely. And it's something that flows through. I like to say that you should look at all of the contracts or different places in your business is like, you know, a stream. They need to flow from one place to another. So Mm -hmm. if you have office hours, you know, the work hours should flow through your employment contracts down to your client contracts Mm -hmm. so that those boundaries are consistent because part Mm -hmm. of it is also making sure you know, I want to make sure our clients are a good fit for our firm and that our clients aren't stressing my team out because I want my team to do their best. I want my team to be able to set expectations Mm -hmm. and I can't have a client, you know, expecting them to work on a Sunday. That's not our firm. If, Mm -hmm. you know, we occasionally have emergencies, I can count the amount of true emergencies we've had on, you know, probably one hand, you know, maybe two over the years but our clients seem to know. And we've had people that have kind of inquired about working with us that are like, well, are you available on Sundays? Well, no, we're not. Because for me, that culture of our team Mm -hmm. and wanting them to plug in when they're at work and then unplug and be with their families and have a personal life is really important to me. Mm -hmm. So my team is actually Monday through Thursday. We don't work Fridays Mm -hmm. and we, and I don't expect them to check their emails on nights or weekends. I really don't. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's something that I encourage them to do. And I actually have found, I had one employee that that didn't work with. Like I couldn't get her to unplug like, mm-hmm. and, and she was, and I think this is like a personality thing, you know, and it's, you know, I think a little culturally ingrained in us. Like I would be saying, please unplug, enjoy your weekend. And then she would be emailing on Friday. She would be texting me about an email that she read on Sunday. And I was, it's okay. It can wait until like we, I mean, we take our clients up very seriously. We're super responsive Monday through Thursday. We are really plugged in and we're a small firm. So unlike a bigger place, like you're going to get more responses from us, things are going to turn quicker, but That's why I think we have the ability in our clients that have been with us for years. That's why they trust us because they know they can email us on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday to get it off their plate and that they will get a response on Monday, whether it's, Hey, this is when we can get this back to you or like a substantive response and whatever they need, depending on the type of work or the type of question. And so I think it flows down from like who you pick for clients and who you allow, like to like be somebody else's clients down all the way down into like your team. And, you know, I think hiring is one of the hardest things that anyone will have to do. I think one of the sayings, I just said this to one of my clients last week was slow to hire, quick to fire, because generally what you need is a long period of time to make sure that the fit is right don't be afraid to do a working interview. Don't be afraid to do, you know, first a really good, I, I did a really strong application. Like if they weren't willing to take a little bit of time to fill out my application then I wasn't interested. I wanted to see them follow through. Once they filled out the application, then we actually had follow-up questions and it was kind of like work product related. And that was really allowed me to see, one was kind of like a mock email to a client because that's so important to deliver bad news. Actually, specifically, that's what it was.
0: Oh, interesting. And I
1: didn't give them the scenario. I just said like, like, write an email delivering bad news to a client. Because to me, that is the the hardest thing that we do is like, we don't always get to tell you the things you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to see how they would communicate with them. And then the other thing was actually explaining what we're going to talk about later today was explaining trademarks, because that's a Mm -hmm. big area that our, our team focuses on. And I wanted them to explain the process to someone, because I wanted to make sure A, that they could communicate on a human level when there was bad news. B, I wanted to make sure that they could actually, I wanted to see how they could communicate something that could be overwhelming to a client who maybe doesn't, isn't aware of the benefits, the pros, the cons, like how long the process takes. I wanted to see them break it down in a manageable email to a client too. So that was really telling and actually an easy way to wash a few people out from there. I actually went into. um, I think we did a short phone interview because you know it's just a little bit more casual, a different feeling. And then from there, if they did well in the phone interview, we went to. um, I think we did a mix between Zoom. And I think I met with one person in in person, Mm
0: -hmm. COVID
1: life changes a little bit. I think, you know, so we, I think we did zoom interviews and that was so we could see facial expressions. but at that point there had been several points of communication and that was really nice. And I would say, so that would be kind of like my tips to like kind of having a longer hiring process. Sometimes we hire out of need, right? Because we've been putting it off for so long Mm -hmm. that now we really need it. So we're kind of in a rush and I would just say, slow it down because you invest so much time and energy into your, you know, human resources, right? That's, that's where, where HR came from, your human resources. We forget that like, this isn't, should not be a quick decision. Mm -hmm. And so take a little bit extra time. And then I like to say like quick to fire, because to be honest, once there are certain things that you start to see the red flags, they're likely not going to change and we can't change people and we don't want to change people. That's not what we're in the business to do. So I would say that that would be something to keep in mind is, and and take a record for anyone who's never heard this before. If an employee is not working out every time you have a problem or have to have a conversation or they don't deliver something on time, start writing that down because that's going to give you a record of all of their performance issues have meetings with them, discuss it with them, give them an improvement plan. And if they don't improve and you have to let them go, then they were aware of what they could have worked on. That is good, A, internally, because it's a good behavior. You want to invest in people and you want to see if you can train them up. Some people say train them up or train them out. You're either going to set the expectation and they're going to really understand it and they're going to start to thrive. Or they're going to realize this isn't for them. And if they don't, you've now documented all of the things that you've worked on and tried to make work. And if they were to hypothetically file for unemployment, generally you can, you can write, you can attach the, you know, performance issues and say, I had to let them go because they failed to perform the duties that they were, you know, required to do. Mm -hmm. And that usually the people, biggest thing about unemployment, no, you don't pay their unemployment checks. You've been paying taxes and think about it. You're building that bucket over time when you pay unemployment taxes. But you don't what the the reason you don't want to pay out unemployment or may have past employees receiving unemployment is the more people that take it over time, your tax rate is going to increase hmm. because the state is going to see you as a bigger liability to having higher turnover, so they're going to increase your unemployment excuse me your unemployment tax rate over time. So that's like a little a little snapshot. Be really slow to hire, have a good long hiring process have an offer letter, have an employee handbook. Mm -hmm. All of those things are meant to set expectations about intellectual property, confidentiality, you know, days in, days out, you know, vacation versus paid sick leave, all of the different layers. And then when it's not working out, don't be afraid to document it. Don't be afraid to kind of give them constructive criticism and give them an improvement plan. And sometimes that just isn't going to be enough. Yeah. And and realize that it's not you, it's you know the situation, and that your business is going to be better off if you have to make the tough decision.
0: Yeah, that was all so valuable. Thank you for sharing all that.
1: <laughs> Sorry for the tangent. I was just no, like, I, I can't love it. myself. We, you know, I have these conversations all the time with clients, and I know it's hard. So like, this was a fun. This was a good thing to talk about because I think you're right. A lot of people don't talk about it. It's just we struggle through from. Being able to delegate like actually being like okay i guess i don't have to do everything in my business Mm -hmm. to then we have this team and we feel we feel responsible right
0: and yeah like you said i think there's there's always talk of like it's so hard to find the right people it's hard to hire it's you know but actually getting into the granular details Um, it's nice to have structure. It's nice to have even what, like everything that you just shared as a framework to say, okay, I can let this process be a little bit longer. You know, I can have this four-step hiring process so that I, you know, my success rate is probably going to be a little bit higher when you've actually gone through multiple points of communication and connection with a new hire.
1: And actually kind of like to what you said, you know, I always am like I don't want to micromanage. I want them. To, I want them to flourish yeah. on their own. I want them to be an indep- independent contributor. But you also want them, to, someone to be able to take direction, do mm-hmm. things like the way your company does things. Right. You want them to kind of understand your process. And I think having a little bit longer hiring process, which which is reflective of your company, that's like very much based on your values. If you're building out that application process in the same way, mm-hmm. you're more likely to find somebody that's going to fit that culture on the back end. Like I even ask people like, why does this job appeal to you? Mm -hmm. And I had some people that were just like, well, you know, I just would like to pick up other hobbies or, you know, it just, it, you read it and you're like, "Mm, this doesn't feel like this, like really good fit. Like one of my, my employees right now, she applied when she was like nine months pregnant for a job that like, we, I couldn't hire her for, it cause I needed someone sooner. Mm-hmm. And so, but I was so inspired by how much she wanted it that I said, when you have the baby email me and let's see if we can make this work in the future. Yeah. She emailed me two weeks after she had her son and she's now on our team and she's incredible. Yeah, and ready. she, because she just knew she wanted this position and that it was the right fit for her and her family yeah. and the amount, like her passion for it. I was like, I need to find a way to hire her.
0: Where are you located?
1: We're in Phoenix, Arizona.
0: Well, do you hire local, like are most of your employees locally, or do you have like a full remote team?
1: So our team is fully remote. Like we don't go into an office. So (laughs) I don't know if people are going to see this recording, but you know, I'm in my home office. I built the firm out this way. Um, you know, for personal reasons, for selfish reasons, like I want to be home with my family. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what our team really enjoys too. So Lindsay is local. We do have remote workers in other places. We are looking to expand our firm. So if there's any lawyers listening to this, they're like, I want to reach out to me or, you know, somebody Maybe. who's looking for a job, reach out to us because we're definitely looking to expand into other areas um, and, and really utilize a remote team. Like we we love it. We have part-time positions open as well. So it's we really try to lean into this really nice work-life balance. Oh, yeah. Um, so if anyone knows anyone, I feel like that's the best people you find. And that's yeah. the other tip, the best people you can find for anything I feel like is by referral, Yeah, um, you know, or Hey, can you post this ad in like in your community, whatever it might be, because, you know, even though it's not like their best friend and it's just like a the community they're in, you're getting closer, like a closer group of people like that's We're looking for childcare right now, which is also terrible. It's so hard to find. I know. And I'm asking people like, Hey, do you know anyone? Because to me that just feels good. Like I want yeah. somebody that, that someone else can vouch for. I tried to like go onto care.com and it was so overwhelming. Yeah.
0: I know you got to have the same like long hiring process. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so it's Yeah. Crazy if anyone has any employment stuff, I mean, feel free to reach out to me. We'll throw it in the show
0: notes here too. So if anyone's listening and they can reach out to you. Um, Okay. So diving into some trademarking, um, this is a, this is such a funny, not funny. It's just an interesting topic because I feel like um, it's like the elusive trademarking. You own a business and it's like when do I look into trademarking? Do I trademark my business name from the very beginning? Like when, what, I'd I'd love to kind of just get your hot take on trademarking specifically more for these, like, I think it's like you said, can be overwhelming for early stage entrepreneurs or small business owners who are just getting started. Um, I feel like I'd love to hear your thoughts being in the branding space now mm-hmm. I'm always I'm thinking about it more than i I was before because there's so many more businesses being birthed every single day, especially over the last handful of years um, that trademarking I think at one point was like you could hold off and like wait a bit and now it feels like there's so many businesses popping up all the time. It's like your real estate in the. Business world. So I love I'm that. Just, yeah, I'd love to hear like your thoughts on um, when is too soon, like, or when is too late? Like, should you research trademarking before you pay a brand designer to do this whole, you know, brand identity design for you, things like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So great question. We are, you know, really passionate about having small businesses own their brand. And the best way to own your brand is to have a registered trademark. And the reason why the the registered trademark is so powerful, it's not because you just get to put like the little circle R next to your business name. It's really about the fact that the moment you have a registered trademark, it's assumed like it's, there's like a legal standard that shifts. And you now have given everybody in the world constructive notice that your business and your brand exists in a particular category of, of goods and services. You're like, Hey, this is my company name or this is my slogan or well, you know, whatever it might be, whatever brand element that you're trademarking, you're like, Hey world, this is, you know, my brand and I own it in this category and you can't touch it. And you can't even like, it's not even about it being identical it's the standard is confusingly similar. So it keeps other people in your space, in your industry from being confusingly similar. So not identical. You actually get a little more protection than just the same, which is great. And so what I like to say is actually you're so right. Like there's so many businesses that are popping up and I think it, you know, kind of gone are the days when we own these little like brick and mortar stores and like Only the neighbors knew and we were really successful locally, you know, that might be true. You might be very successful locally, but we're all having a digital presence now. Mm -hmm. And the more you're opening yourself up online, the more you're realizing by chance, you have the same name. You came up with the same name as somebody else. You don't, doesn't mean that anyone had to steal or have any ill will. It just means that there's a lot of people out there doing similar things And you want your business and the way you do things to stand out. And so being able to own your brand and make sure that you're the only one operating, you know, with that slogan, that, that business name is really important. So a lot of people, I like to kind of say, like the first things you do is, you know, you go out and you file an LLC and you go get your EIN, um, which by the way, you can get for free. If someone didn't know that IRS.gov, go get it for free. Um, you can, you know, those are like the steps we all think about, but what we don't think about, or maybe we, we, we forget to is, you know, we jump right into the, you know, the marketing experience, like I, you know, the kind of branding experience. And I remember picking the name of my firm. It's guide my business. It was really important to me that we weren't like this string of last names, that it wasn't, you know, at the time my last name was different, that it wasn't, you know, Lauren, Lauren Boyd, attorney at law, like Mm -hmm. attorney Boyd and, you know, Lauren Boyd and associates. That was like just not the vibe I wanted. And so for me, picking our business name, my firm name was so important. And I know that this is the same for so many companies. It's an emotional experience. You get very attached to it mm-hmm. and you invest a lot of time and resources, not only into getting the logo right, the colors right, the website, but also the goodwill associated with getting your name out there. Yeah. So to be honest, it is a little late
0: mm-hmm. to be
1: looking into it five years down the road or yeah. you know, after you invested a lot of resources because- you know, what if you have to change, you know, I've been on the other side of phone calls with sobbing clients Aww. that got a cease and desist because they completely unknowingly were using the same brand name as someone else in their industry. And eventually so they got wind of it, right. Cause it's a digital world and they got a cease and desist letter. And now they felt like they had two weeks, you know, granted, sometimes we can negotiate a little bit longer, like, Hey, we understand, we acknowledge, we did this unknowingly, give us a few t- days, you know, give us a few more weeks to unwind this. So I like to tell people, you know, sometimes it does feel like, a, you know, a lot of things on your list and this feels mm-hmm. like something you can put off, but think about how it'll feel once you've really hit the ground, you've grown and you've invested resources and goodwill to rebrand. Yeah, Like, you know, changing your logo for the times and, you know, new website, that's all fun. But changing your business name mm. a few years down the road is a really tough experience. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of what it prevents. And so what we actually suggest timing wise, because you're like, okay, Lauren, you just told me like now it's like, I can't wait. When do I do it? Honestly, the best time to do it is when you are starting to work with a branding, you know, branding agency. We actually work with a lot of creative agencies. Mm-hmm. And they will bring their clients to us because actually as a creative agency, as a branding agency, you actually have some liability of A, creating something that is technically somebody else's, right? Maybe you're helping them with the name ideation. Like maybe, you know, you've kind of created this this logo suite and this website. Well, I've had this happen too. The moment it goes live, not long later, does the client get a cease and desist letter? They just spent a lot of money with you, you know, to create this whole brand,
0: mm-hmm. and now
1: they're being told. And some most of the time, I'll be honest. Like a lot of the time, these "is and this" letters, I look at it and I'm like, "That's it's right, it's true." I'm sorry, there's nothing we can yeah. do. Sometimes we can carve out a particular space or find a way to kind of you know compromise. But you know, the problem is that then you know often the clients are going back and they're saying. I just invested this much time and effort with you and you didn't even like know if this was already a registered trademark. So a looking at your contracts as a creative agency, there's a certain level of liability that you need to make sure is, you know, the expectations are properly set in your contracts Mm -hmm. so that you don't become responsible for that infringement. Because that is actually a very big problem with creative agencies that they're unaware of until it happens. So if you're a creative agency, Start thinking about how you set that expectation in your contracts. If you need help, reach out to our team. We kind of specialize in this space. Um, and for other people think about, you know, how it feels like, I remember investing in my first website. It was a big commitment, you yeah. know? So thinking about all these expenses that are going to be coming up with your new business, I would ask yourself how much time, money, energy you're going to be investing in your brand over the next six months. And if it, if it's an uncomfortable number, I would say, you know, and you, and you expect this to be the brand that Mm. you're going to grow on. I would say, I would absolutely look into doing a registered trademark. Mm. The reason I say six months is that actually from the point that you file your application until you hear back from the U S the U S uh, USPTO is actually about six months. Oh, interesting. Until you get your first response. Like it's not immediate. It's not immediate. So if you are going to you know, file a trademark on your own, which you absolutely can,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's going to take you six months to hear anything back. Like the first word will take six months. Um, okay. The reason our team does things a little bit differently is we actually do what's called a comprehensive trademark search. And our team completes those within two weeks. And we dig from business listings to websites, to blogs, to, I mean, everything under the sun, Facebook pages, all of the things. We do a really deep dig and we tell you all of the potential problems with registered trademarks. We call them common law trademarks. So existing usage Mm -hmm. that isn't already trademarked. We do this big dig for you. And we say, these are the results we came back with. We think you're good to go. We think we need to make some modifications. Here's how we strengthen your application to give you the best success rate. We actually become very strategic based on our results on how we prepare the application and sometimes we get results back and we're like you can't use this name unfortunately it's already taken or it's too close to this mm-hmm. and they're going to have to pivot and it's so much easier to pivot before your brand is public before mm-hmm. you've invested resources so that's something that I would I would think about I tell people this is actually a really incredible stat so you know we've all had lemonade stands and mm-hmm. you know I don't want you to treat your business like a lemonade stand. And actually it's reflected in the numbers. And I think it's more than, it's not necessarily the value of a trademark. There's definitely ways to monetize your trademark, Mm -hmm. but there's actually a stat that says businesses that have that trademark sooner in their business are more, will make three times as much money over the first five years of their business than businesses that don't.
0: Interesting.
1: Three times as much money, and it's not because, you know, there is revenue sources. Once you have a registered trademark, you can license the right to use it. There's a lot of mm-hmm. interesting ways that you can monetize, and our team loves to help on the back end with helping people create those revenue sources. Yeah, but it's also, I think, a mindset thing. I really I think, think so. someone who invests in a trademark is operating their business differently. That's it's not I'm a interested. lemonade stand anymore, but it's mm-hmm. something that you're like. This is my business and I am here to take it seriously. So I think it's mostly mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I'd encourage people. You know, if you're, if you're ready to invest in your business, the investment of a trademark is going to be a, something you can monetize and you can get your money back and then some very easily, but also The protection from not having to rebrand, from getting your brand right the first time. Mm -hmm. And we love working with creative agencies. So, if anyone's, you know, now like, oh, wow, I should tell my clients about this, we work with creative agencies hand in hand because I think that's the most, that's the best way to do the trademarking process is actually to have the client have two resources on hand us to take the legal piece, and then someone else to run through the ideation process and help them come up with different names and help them go through that creative process Mm -hmm. because we can, we can clear names. We can do the background. We can give you some suggestions, but I love when we work with teams because it allows us to really, as a team create something that the client feels really good about. And that's something that's built to last.
0: I love this. This is so good so much to like chew on here with this um but it feels like really good tangible first steps and things to think about which that to me is the most important part because it can be overwhelming and then you just brush it under the rug and move on and mm. start running your lemonade stand, like <laughs> you know versus like yeah just we've all done it out. yeah
1: i even like i started like a little side hustle in you know and we and it's funny it was like a little pop-up thing we did mm-hmm. um in 2020. And I honestly was like, as I was creating it, I was like, I should do it. I should have my team run a trademark search, and I didn't. We launched it, and then like a few months later, I was like, all right, like let's go through the trademarking process on this mm-hmm. name. I really, I really have grown to love it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, we can't use it. <laughs> Never mind. And so, I mean, it even happens to me. Like messy action has its time and place but don't make it be for something that a core business a core yeah. you know product or service for us it was like a little side piece of the business something i was pursuing for a short time so it wasn't disruptive but for someone that this is this is going to be your livelihood this is going to be your business this is going to be what you're known for
0: mm-hmm.
1: we love to say own your brand because it is so important and it'll pay dividends in the long
0: run i love it own your brand okay so couple things. If you are a uh, lawyer and you are looking for a part-time work or full-time work remote, reach out um, to Lauren. We will link up how you can connect with her in the show notes, through Instagram, um, through her website. If you need legal support, foundational work, uh, contracts, writing hiring process, which I love that we spent a good chunk of this episode unknowingly on hiring stuff. Cause I think it's so, it's such a conversation that has to happen. Um, reach out, get in touch with her. Um, where can everyone find you on Instagram?
1: So on Instagram, the best place to find me is at the Lauren Boyd. Um, And I'll be honest, you know, I've been really enjoying this like new baby phase and I haven't been super present on there. Um, But we also have developed and I did this kind of, now as our team started to grow, it used to be like just me, right? And your team grows and you're like, why is everything on my Instagram? So we've started to actually do a resource Instagram. So you can also find us at, at guide my business um, Instagram. And that Instagram account has tips on you know trademarking hiring holiday parties i mean anything under the sun it okay. has tips on so super super helpful um and you can so you can find us at those two accounts and then our website for our firm is guidemybusiness.co And we'd love to have a consult with people. We'd love to be a resource because I understand it always feels like you have a ton of things. Mm -hmm. I hire marketing people. I hire people that are like genius in their areas. And we do it for a reason, right? We want to focus on growing our business and focus on our strengths. So we're here to help anyone who needs support.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Lauren, so much for being here and sharing everything that you did. It was all so powerful. I feel like you and I could talk for hours just on stuff around like in these like beginning stages (laughs) and motherhood too. I would love that. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, you know where to find Lauren and um, we will see you on next week's episode.